book of Judges, chapter 19. It's amazing to me, Lord willing, if we're still here next week, uh, we'll finish up the book of Judges. And uh, I've never taught through the book of Judges before, so I didn't realize what a blessing it would be. I guess I misjudged the book, huh? And so um, <laughs> I found out, wow, this is a cool book. I, I, I really believe, because actually, you know, I've had to, to, to be here the whole time, you know, because I've had the blessing of teaching, that um, in many ways I'm not the same man as when we started the book of Judges because there has been so many powerful lessons that we've learned through this book. And that's what the Word of God does. You know, the Word of God is what God uses by His Spirit to change our life, you know, to modify our character, to create in us a clean heart, and to show us, you know, the decisions that we need to make, the, the, the everything, the, the barriers that we can't cross, so many things. And, and so I'm blessed, you know, Lord willing, next week we're going to finish it up. Um, but last week, we saw in chapter 17 through 18, the decay of the family. And the decay of the family led to the decay of the ministry, and the decay of the ministry led to the decay of society. And of course, they all feed off of each other, right? The family, the ministry, society. And when one's down, the others are going to be hurt as well. But um, I really was uh, just challenged and reminded of how important it is to make sure that things are right in my own house, in my own home. And, uh, and I pray that you would have that conviction as well. You know, you, you may think, well, you know, I, 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 things aren't right at home, but I come to church and I know how to, how to put on an act and I know how to fool everybody. And I, you know, I don't offend people at church or whatever. But, you know, it's got to be right at home. There's got to be holiness in your house. It will affect the ministry. It will affect this church. And it will affect the world that we live in. You know, and it'll get really, really bad. We saw last week the decay of family and ministry and society. And, you know, it was a crazy thing we saw in chapter 17 through 18. But now in chapter 19, we're going to see that that dark scene is followed by scenes that are even darker. It's crazy. You know, maybe you're here today, and one of the things I think that we're going to come away with in this chapter right here is a heavy warning from God. You know, because if you don't live right, your sin will find you out. And, you know, you may think, well, I've hit rock bottom, and then the bottom gives way. It's crazy. And that's why it's important that we serve the Lord with clean hands. You know, we see in the book of Judges that things will get even worse today, and we're going to see, in one sense, even worse next time. And, uh, and you know, where sin leads, down, down, down to hell. And that's why we have to take heed. The Bible says these things were written for our own admonition. And I'm talking about, you know, sins like doing drugs, doing alcohol. Some of you here that maybe are involved in sexual sin and you're not married. It could be lust. It could be pornography. It could be pride. It could be prayerlessness. It could be you not getting into the Word, not spending time with the Lord, not serving the Lord. It could be you mistreating your spouse, mistreating your children. It could be so many things, sins of commission, sins of omission. They're all sin. And that's why we have to flee sin. You know, Judges is about a people who would not crown the Lord as king. 
And if they don't do that, and if we don't do that, we have a very dark future. Such is the future of a people with no king, a people who will not allow God to govern their lives. They will not allow God to govern them with his word as the final authority for themselves. So we read, look what it says here in verse 1. It says, And it came to pass in those days, when there was no king in Israel, that there was a certain Levite staying in the remote mountains of Ephraim. He took for himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. Now we've seen this phrase, this description repeatedly in the book of Judges. And remember, when things are repeated, it's there so you won't be defeated. Remember, I've told you that many times. God repeats things. Why? Because like my pastor taught me, repetition teaches a donkey. And we need to hear it over and over and over again. They were in the condition they were in because they were not allowing God to be king in their life. Very simple. We read it over and over again. If you go back to chapter 17, notice what it says in verse 6. In those days there was no king in Israel. Notice Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We see it in chapter 18, verse 1. In those days, there was no king in Israel. We're even going to see this is how the book of Judges ends. If you go over to Judges chapter 21, notice what it says in verse 25. As the book ends, check out this doxology. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own How about you? Do you check in for marching orders? Or do you just think that you're smart enough, that you know what to do? You don't have to pray about things. You don't have to wake up every single day and ask God what he wants to do. And I'll be honest with you, man. When I, when I think of being a, a leader of any capacity, whether it's you know over my wife or my children or especially in the ministry, you know, if I'm not praying, then I'm king. I'm not getting marching orders from God. And, and it really, it just, man, it, it makes me really think, and I pray that we would really understand how important it is that we need to have the Lord truly as the leader of our life. And the only way we're going to make it is if we check in for marching orders. And he'll tell you what to do. See, what was happening here was there was no king in Israel. And so it was true for the laymen. It was true for the leaders. Here we see in verse 1, notice there was a certain Levite staying in the remote mountains of Ephraim. You know, and, and you ask yourself, well, why was this Levite living in a place he didn't belong? He wasn't supposed to live there according to the law. Why was he there, we see later, with a concubine? You know, why didn't he just have a wife? You know, although concubines may have been permitted by God, they were never, ever approved by God. You know, there's a difference between a wife and a concubine, right? And, and so, you know, I think that one thing we need to be careful of is, you know, make sure that you're not living life to find and to just, you know, kick it in the permissive will of God. Well, God, well, God allows it. Other Christians are doing it. No, I want to encourage you, demand to shoot for the bullseye. 
and through prayer and an intimate relationship with God, man, try to live your life in the perfect will of God. You know, because I think this Levite right here thought, oh, it's no big deal. I'll, I got a wife. I, maybe he had a number of wives. I don't know. I'll also get me a concubine. And, and I just saw, I looking at it, I was like, well, I guess in one sense it was permitted, but it was never ever approved by God. Never. You know, this guy right here, he had a problem. We see again in verse 1, he took for himself. There's the problem, huh? He took for himself. And I was just thinking about that, you know, as I was even praying the other day, Lord, set me free from selfishness. Set me free from making all the decisions of my life based on how it affects me. Lord, help me look into the eyes of my wife and the eyes of other people and not see the reflection of myself. Because it's so crazy, so, you know, anti-God when we just live for ourselves, And that's where this Levite was. He was here in the permissive will of God. Why? Because he was living for himself, not in the perfect will of God. And so he takes his concubine from Bethlehem and Judah. And it says in verse 2, But his concubine played the harlot against him and went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem and Judah and was there four whole months. Throughout the account in our study today, I don't know, how many of you guys read ahead, just out of curiosity? Okay, so nobody did. Okay, that's all right. No, I'm just joking. Maybe some of you did, but uh, it's okay, because this is a crazy story. It's all right. Today, we'll let you slide. But, you know, this right here, we're going to see through the whole account, the Levite, he never really loves his concubine. You can just see it very clearly. You know, and, and if you can compare it to a husband and a wife, so to speak, he never really loves her. He doesn't love her in life. He doesn't honor her in death. He never, he never really loves her. And although it doesn't make it right by any means, she responds by going out on him. She responds by playing the harlot, the Bible says. And then she goes home to her father's house. She splits and she quits. And just as a quick side note, we really need to search our hearts as husbands and wives to make sure that we love each other, to make sure that we treat each other right. And my encouragement to you, because I really believe that's what the Bible teaches, and let a man leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now the be joined, to leave and cleave, is something that you do for the rest of your life. My encouragement to you, if your husband and wife is spend the rest of your life, you know, drawing closer to God and drawing closer to each other. That's really got to be the, the way it works. You're, you're made one positionally when you say, I do, but then you're made one practically as you grow in your relationship with God and each other. Because what ends up happening is if you're not drawing your spouse closer to you, then you're probably driving her away. You're driving her away. You know, we need to be so careful. He was wrong. She was wrong as well. What did she do? Well, when things got bad, she ran She ran home. She ran to other guys. She ran away from her problems. But when you're going through problems, where should you run? Run to the Lord. 
I know it's hard, and I know it's difficult, and you just want to run out the house, or you want to go, and sometimes, you know, depending on who you are, maybe you just want to go get drunk or, or high, or just want to eat a whole bunch of ice cream or something. I don't know how you guys respond to it, man, but some people go to therapy, they go to psychologists, they go to their friend who doesn't even give them godly counsel, and sometimes they go even to their Christian friend a little too soon when they've never really run to the Lord. you got to run to the Lord, not run home. You know, and especially if you're married, then be so careful that you don't run to your parents. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but did you know that that's probably, well, that's what they say, the third most common reason for divorce is the over-involvement of in-laws in a marriage? It happens a lot. Here we see this girl, she ran home to her father. So then we read in verse 3, it says, And then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back, having his servant and a couple of donkeys with him. And so she brought him into her father's house. And when the father of the young woman saw him, he was glad to meet him. Now his father-in-law, the young woman's father, detained him. And he stayed with him three days. And so they ate and drank and lodged there. We read in verse 3 that her husband arose. Notice again it says, and went after her to speak kindly to her. And so you read that and you're like, hey, Manny, I thought you said he never loved her. Well, it's interesting right here because this same Hebrew phrase is used over in Genesis chapter 34, verse 3, about a guy named Shechem. You guys remember that guy in Shechem, Genesis chapter 34? And there it says that his soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and he spoke kindly to the young woman. And it sounds kind of good, huh? But when you keep on reading right there, you find that Shechem raped the young woman. And so the speaking kindly is kind of like what a lot of guys do, huh? You know, they'll tell you anything so that it can get that something, right? That's, the, what, that's what was happening right here. It's just a bunch of words. But what ends up happening? She lets him in. The Levite then stays with them at their father's house. And one thing I notice about this right here, and I just am just kind of reading between the lines, because you know when you're when you're making up with your with your husband, your wife, what are you looking for? You're not looking for okay, you know we're smooching now, you know. You're not looking for okay, you know we're talking now. You're looking for the Lord. You know you got to reconcile your differences with God now being the glue, the bond of perfection that holds you together. But that doesn't happen here. They just, you know, he comes in, and what ends up happening, we read more about this guy's relationship with her dad than we do about them. It's a real, real crazy thing. They've been there three days, and they're eating and drinking. And then we read next in verse 5, it came to pass on the fourth day that they arose early in the morning, and he stood to depart. But the young woman's father said to his son-in-law, Refresh your heart with a morsel of bread, and afterward go your way. And so they sat down, and the two of them ate and drank together. And that wasn't Kool-Aid, let me tell you, man. <laughs> and the young woman's father said to the man, Please be content to stay all night. Let your heart be merry. And when the man stood to depart, his father-in-law urged him. And so he lodged 
there again. And again, you know, I don't know if all these details are necessary, you know, to know the whole story, other than just, man, basically seeing, like I said earlier, that it doesn't seem like the Lord is the center, that they're eating, they're drinking, they're making merry, they're having fun. But where's God? Where's God? You know, I was reading uh, Warren Wiersbe when he was talking about this, and he said a lot of times that's how Christians are. And, you know, when you read Warren Wiersbe, it's cool because he likes to eat, and he likes to uh, drink, uh, well, not drink alcohol, (laughs) but he likes to fellowship, and he likes to play jokes and have fun and laugh and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, there's a time for that, and there's also a time, man, for us really seeking the Lord. You know, for us really praying, for us getting into the Word, especially if you're a Levite, man, especially if you're a leader, you know? I mean, you really want to make sure that that's the center of your fellowship with your friends. That's the center of your relationship with your wife. You know, but we don't really read that. They're just kicking it. They're partying. They're drinking. They're having a good time. They're grubbing. They're having barbecues. They order pizza. whole bunch of stuff, right? And, and that's about it. And so they stay, and he's there, and then another day goes by, another day goes by. And then finally we read in verse 8, it says, And then he arose early in the morning on the fifth day to depart. But the young woman's father said, Please, refresh your heart. So they delayed until afternoon, and both of them ate. So they are again, just grubbing, man. And when the man stood to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, his father-in-law, the young woman's father, said to him, Look, the day is now dawn- drawing toward evening. Please spend the night, and so the day is coming to an end. And lodge here, that your heart may be merry. Tomorrow, go your way early, so that you may get home. However, the man was not willing to spend that night. And so, I don't know for sure. You know, basically, they're just kind of telling us the story about what happened. He was there three days, four days. On the fifth day, this ends up happening. He delays, he stays. But, you know, uh, when the father tries to keep him there one more day, what ends up happening, they're like, no, you know what, i got to split, i got to go home. He doesn't give in this time. And it's probably something he should have done earlier. He probably should have done it earlier even that day because look what happens, you guys, in verse 10. So he arose and departed. And he came to opposite Jebus, that is Jerusalem. With him were the two saddled donkeys. His concubine was also with him. And they were near Jebus, and the day was far spent. And the servant said to his master, Come, please, and let us turn aside into the city of the Jebusites and lodge in it. But his master said to him, We will not turn aside here into a city of foreigners who are not of the children of Israel. We will go on to Gibeah. And so he said to his servant, Come, let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night in Gibeah or in Ramah. And so, again, what ends up happening? They finally head out. They come to a place called Jebus. And uh, you guys remember the Jebusites? You guys remember that? Okay, they were supposed to kick them out. They never were able to do it, right? Because the Jebusites were too strong. And so what ends up happening is when this guy travels and he's going north, he's going home, he ends up coming to the Jebusites area. And he says, and the guy says, hey, let's kick it here. Let's stay here. This will be cool. And what ends up happening is the Levite says, no, we can't stay here because this is not a good area. You know, it's kind of like certain places of Almani are good, some are not. Kind of like that. When you go to downtown L.A., you go to different spots, man, that are really hot, right? And you're like, you know what? This is not a good place for the family, so to speak. 
And so what ends up happening is they end up going a little farther, you know, and it's getting later. You know, uh, I know sometimes, I don't know about you guys, how many of you guys, when you're growing up, your mom said you got to be home before it gets dark, just out of curiosity, okay? Those were moms that cared and dads that cared. My mind didn't say, they're like, hey, did you come home last night? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, but the, when your parents, oh, because what ends happening at night, not, not a lot, not a lot of good things happen, right? Even the police officers, they say, you know what, you go out with us, and during the day, we're not going to see a whole lot. You go out at night, that's where all the action is, right? And so this guy is right here. He's like, you know what? we got to get there before dark. It starts to get late. And notice what ends up happening in verse 14. It says, And they passed by and went their way. And the sun went down on them. There it is, near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. They turned aside there to go in to lodge into Gibeah. And when he went in, he sat down in the open square of the city, for no one would take them into his house to spend the night. And so they finally, they say, we can't stay here because this is a bad area. we got to go farther to Gibeah. That's where all the good people are. That's where all the godly people are. But they get there to Gibeah, and it's late, and they go in, and no one wants to take them in. Now, you got to understand the way it was in the Middle East. Um, that would be really strange because... If you were to go into the Middle East um, and, and you needed a place to stay, hospitality was a huge emphasis for their life. Even today, the rule of thumb is in the Middle East is that you should open your home for people to stay in at least three days. Check this out. Even if they're your enemy. <laughs> it's crazy, huh? That's how huge hospitality is. You know, you need a place. You need to stay. They didn't have hotels. They didn't have Motel 6s back then. You need a place? Come on. You can stay with us. And that's the way it is. For those of you guys who have read the Bible, you've seen that, huh? Always. Hey, you need some grub? They, and they go and they make a big barbecue for you. I mean, they just, men, they, 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 they bless you with the hospitality. We see that in the Bible. But for some reason, and by now he should have been scratching their head, no one seems to welcome us in. And so they're there in the, in the open square. And they're kicking it there, and look what happens in verse 16. Just then, an old man came in from his work in the field that evening, who also was from the mountains of Ephraim. Hmm. He was staying in Gibeah, whereas the men of the place were Benjamites. And when he raised his eyes, he saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, Where are you going? And where do you come from? And so he said to him, We are passing from Bethlehem and Judah toward the remote mountains of Ephraim. I am from there. I went to Bethlehem and Judah. Now I am going to the house of the Lord. But there is no one who will take me into his house. Although we have both straw and grain for our donkeys and bread and wine for ourselves, for your female servant, for the young man who is with your servant, there's no lack of anything. And the old man said, Peace be with you. <laughs> However, let all your needs be my responsibility. Only do not spend the night in the open square. And so he brought him into his house and gave fodder to the donkeys. And they washed their feet and ate and drank. And they were enjoying themselves. I'm going to stop right there. And so there they are, you know, kind of like in the open square. And they're probably getting ready to stay there for the night. And then this old man comes. He's an old man. He's been working all day in the field. And he's an Ephraimite. He just happens to be from the same place that this guy's from. 
And what ends up happening is he invites the travelers to stay with him. He says, man, no problem. I'll take care of everything for you. It'll be my responsibility. And so he brings him in. He feeds him. He feeds his donkeys. He washes their feet. Isn't that cool? And there they are, something that we see over and over again. They're getting drunk. They're drinking again. And, and you know that's not going to lead to any good, right? So what ends up happening next? We see right here, it says in verse 22, in, verse, in the second portion, as they're there enjoying themselves, suddenly certain men of the city, perverted men, surrounded the house and beat on the door. They spoke to the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring out the man who came to your house that we may know him carnally. But the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my brethren, I beg you, do not act so wickedly. Seeing this man has come into my house, do not commit this outrage. And what we see, you guys, and what we're going to to learn tonight is that when God is not leading your life, when Jesus Christ is not the king of your life, then your life will continue to get worse and worse and worse. It is a natural digression if you choose to lead your own life apart from God. We see it in the family. We see it then affects ministry. We see it then affects society. The country that we live in, the great United States of America, Unless they turn back to God, this country is going to go down. We see that, and it's very clear. You know, we see this happening to the nation of Israel. Remember at the, at the beginning, man, the Lord was with them. The Lord parted the Red Sea. The Lord, you know, eventually parted the Jordan River. The Lord gave them, remember when we read in Joshua, for you guys have a good memory, chapter 6, you know, victory in Jericho. Chapter 8, victory in Ai, and just going on and on and on. God's giving them victory. God's blessing their life. They have love. They have peace. They have joy. They have victory. They have goodness. They have everything that their hearts ever really wanted. God was blessing their life. But when they came to that point in which there arose a generation that did not know the Lord, what ended up happening? They went and they did their own thing. I don't need to ask God for directions. I'll live my own life. I'll do my own thing. I don't need to read the Bible. I don't need to pray. I don't need to go to church. I can keep drinking. I keep getting high. I keep sleeping around. I like pornography. And on on and on and on. And what ends up happening to this country? We come to a point now, and I know it's not a popular thing, but, you know, what ends up happening is, you know, we said, God, uh, we we don't want you in our schools anymore. We don't believe that you made us. We believe that we are, you know, products of evolution, that we are here by random chance, that it's a series of fortuitous occurrences. It's got nothing to do with the God who made us. And so we started teaching our kids evolution, that we came from monkeys, that we came from, you know, slime, that we are animals, you know. And then as time progressed, we took the Bible out of the schools. You know, there was a time when they would use this as a textbook. But now, man, you can't even teach the Bible in public schools, right? They said, we don't want you praying anymore. You can't pray. Imagine that. Doesn't it sound weird to you? To me, it sounds weird. It's illegal to pray. 
in school. You know, isn't that sound weird? But, you know, we took God out. Things happened like in the 50s and the 60s. You know, I think I've told you guys before. Do you know what the number one problem was in high schools back in the 50s? Chewing gum. <laughs> Getting out of line. Get back in line, you know. And they smack you on the head, right? <laughs> you know what the, no, the problems are now? Guns. Drugs. It's crazy. That's what happens when you take God out of your life. God has society. You know, I, I was sharing with you guys earlier, man, when you, when you say, God, I don't want you in my life, God, I don't need you in my life, they'll say, cool, all right. I won't force myself on you, but watch what happens, mijo. If you go and you live your own life, you will naturally digress. And just when you think you've hit rock bottom, oh, it can't get any worse than this, boom, the bottom breaks, and you sink even lower. That's what we find happening right here. The children of Israel were a people that were basically saying, you know what, we don't want no king to rule over us. And everyone did what was right in their own sight. And as a result of that, things got worse and worse. We saw last week they made their own shrines. They made their own idols. You know, they were hazy and crazy and lazy. We see now that what ends up happening, they go to this place. It's supposed to be a good place. We skip that neighborhood because it's a bad neighborhood. We go to the good neighborhood where all the good people are, where all the Christians are supposed to be, where all the godly people are supposed to be, and there's none there. There's none even there. Because a lot of times, even in the church, there's none there. And so what ends up happening? Well, they go in. They finally you know, find a place. Nobody wants to let them stay there. They finally go into this guy's place, and then all of a sudden, man, all that time, there's like a mob of guys. Imagine that. They surrounded the pad. They surrounded the whole place. And they said, open up the door so we can sleep with that good-looking man that you just brought in. And it wasn't girls asking to sleep with men. It was men asking to sleep with the man. That's what ended up happening. And that's what's happening to our country. Romans chapter 1, the Bible says things got worse and worse and worse. Professing to be wise, they became fools. God gave them up. Okay, you want to do your own thing? And what ends up happening is we have now this whole crazy battle that we're in in which they're destroying the family. I've told you guys many times that when God made a family, He made a mother and a father. A, a child needs a mother and a father. Not two dads, not two moms. A child needs a mother and a father. See, that's what marriage is. That's the battle that we're in. But what ends up happening when you take God out of the equation, you end up getting things like this, and it gets so crazy. I mean, here we see they're having a good time. They're eating, they're drinking. And, you know, they probably should have been praying. <laughs> Suddenly what ends up happening? The house is surrounded. It says right there, notice again in verse 22, Suddenly certain men of the city, perverted men. Perverted men. Okay, what's a pervert? What does perversion really mean? Well, perversion, it really means that when you take things that are good and you make those things bad, that's perversion. You know, the greatest perversion is taking, like, for example, you know, godliness and making that into something it's not. 
That's the greatest perversion. But here we have this thing called sex. Sex was created by God. I don't even know if sex is the right word. You know, in the Bible it talks about knowing someone, being with someone intimately. It was made by God as a beautiful expression of love. It was made by God as something to bond two lives together. It was made by God for a husband and a wife. But what do we do? We became perverts. And rather than waiting until we get married, we go and we sleep around, and this girl with that guy and that guy with that girl, and then it just gets worse and worse, and before you know it, you've got men with men. That's wrong because God says so. Before you know it, I, I told you guys about the story I read the other day, men with animals it happens why is that wrong well because God says so you know men may not say so they think it's right here you have this guy over there and he rapes a four year old girl why is that wrong he doesn't think it's wrong why is it wrong because God says it's wrong it doesn't matter what he says or she says what does God say you see, that's what we have to come back to because, you know, we're doing our own thing. And I'm telling you right now, it just doesn't work. Imagine what would happen. How many of you here drive? How many of you here are good drivers? How many of you here are bad drivers? You leave last today, okay? Oh, man. But imagine what it would be like if we went outside today and they said there's no more rights and wrongs. No more red lights, no more green lights, no more laws, and no more officers of the law. Imagine what it would be like if you went out there and they just said, you can go as fast as you want, you can do whatever you want. Some of you are smiling. We're smiling, huh? Because we're thinking, oh, man, that would be fun. You know, I could, I, could just, I could jam and I could fly and I could go on the other side of the road. I've always wanted to do that, you know, or whatever it is. You know, I don't need to... I could probably get home a, a little quicker or whatever it is you're thinking, right? And, 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 then, and then you're like thinking, this is cool. But then what ends up happening? Your mom dies in a car accident. Your dad, your brother, things happen. People die. Why? Because there's got to be green lights and red lights. There's got to be rights and wrongs. And God is the one who tells us what's right and wrong. And that's why we need to make sure that we heed this. Here we see this whole story right here. And here's the thing that's crazy, you guys. If you're reading this right here, it sounds a lot like the story. You guys ever heard of those places, Sodom and Gomorrah? You guys ever heard of those places? Okay. Very similar, very, very similar. Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis chapter 19. The angels came. The men came to the door. Hey, we want to sleep with those guys, right? And so it sounds very similar, but what's the, the main difference between Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis chapter 19, and Gibeah, which is Judges chapter 19? What's the main difference? Does anybody know? Angels, but what's the other thing? God's judgment? There's another thing. Sodom and Gomorrah are not supposedly Christian people. They're pagan. You would kind of expect that from them. But this is the children of Israel. It's crazy, huh? Look where they've sunk, man. I mean, things were bad in Israel and things are crumbling in this country. 
And what ends up happening? Well, we need to do what's right. We need to respond in the right way. But notice what happens. This is crazy. And, I, and, I, and I'm glad that the kids aren't in here today, even the, the high schoolers. This is crazy. Look what happens in verse 24. Look, this is what happens. The guys come to the door. And so he says, no, don't do it. It's an awful thing. It's a vile thing. It's an outrage. It's a disgrace. It's a perversion. But look what happens in verse 24. Look, here is my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. Let me bring them out now. Humble them and do with them as you please. But to this man do not do such a vile thing. But the men would not heed him. And so the man took his concubine, brought her out to them, and they knew her. They raped her and abused her all night until morning. And when the day began to break, they let her go. Then the woman came as the day was dawning and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was till it was light. This is what happens. This is how you continue to sink lower and lower when you take God out of the equation. This is what will happen to our society. You know, here we see what type of father would offer his virgin daughter to a mob of perverted men to be gang raped? What type of men would do that? What type of husband who was called to be a leader in the community would offer his wife to men like this, men who would use her and abuse her all night long, men who would eventually kill her? What type of people are we reading about? Well, we're reading about people who do their own thing. We're reading about people who have no societal standards. They're people without God. You know, and that's what we see. Neglect of the family, multiple wives, adultery, affairs, gluttony, drinking, parties, laziness, lack of responsibility, no prayer life, no biblical interests, no time to go to church, no time to gather with God's people. Let's make our own religious rules. Let's build our own shrines. And even the Lord's leaders are gone. The laymen are lost because everyone's doing what's right in their own sight. Homosexuality. No respect for women, rape, gang rape, murder, death. And it just goes on and on. It continues to sink. We read in verse 27. And when her master arose in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way, there was his concubine fallen at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, Get up and let's be going. But there was no answer. And so the man lifted her onto the donkey, and the man got up and went to his place. And when he entered his house, he took a knife, laid hold of his concubine, and divided her into twelve pieces, limb by limb, and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And so it was that all who saw it said, No such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel came up in the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, confer and speak of. And it breaks your heart. Huh? It breaks your heart. You know, God doesn't author evil, but God allows evil because we're not robots. Right? I mean, I don't know how this man slept that night, but somehow he slept. He got up to go. I don't know if he knew his concubine was there. You know, I think he was just going to leave her. But when he sees her, he tells her, hey, get up, let's go. And when he discovers that she's dead, it doesn't say that he cried or he mourned or he wept. It just says they picked her up, he put her on the donkey, 
And then what does he do? Is he takes her home, he takes a knife, he dismembers her, he cuts her into 12 pieces, and he sends different parts of her body to the 12 tribes of Israel. That's his way of dealing with it. And you know, when you look at that, you find that, yeah, it does get the attention of the nation. But we're going to see that next week. There's this whole thing that happened as a result of what happened here. But the bottom line is, is this guy right here, he was the type of husband that didn't treat his wife white when she was alive and he didn't honor her when she died. He saw the sins of others. He didn't see his own sin. And rather than humbling himself, okay, right here, right here is the opportunity for this man to get his life right with God. What does he do? He takes a knife, cuts her up in pieces, and he sends her throughout the land. You know, and just in the closing, as a closing thought, you guys, what do you do when things happen? You know, what do you do when you see sins of others or just the struggles that we face as individuals? You know, do you, you know, scheme up things? Oh, I'll give him my daughter. I'll give him my wife. Sleep with her. That'll take care of that situation. How, how awful that is, you know? And, and, and what do you do? Oh, you know, we'll, we'll t- get the attention of the nation. We'll cut her up. You know what? That wasn't God's will. That was not God's will. God wanted this man at this point in his life, right there, God wanted him to get on his knees. God wanted him to get on his face, to humble himself, and to change his life, to turn to God, to return to God. At that point, when he was facing all this craziness and all these struggles and all these trials, Right there, God wanted him to give him his heart. But unfortunately, what does he do? He goes and he takes matters into his own hands. God help us, man, to understand the way that it works. God wants to be king of our life. Let me read to you one more verse before we have communion. You guys don't have to turn there. But in John chapter 12, I I like this because there's a lot of verses we could have turned to. Are you guys uh, praying about who our next president will be? You guys talking about it? Hey, I think he should. I think he should. Whatever, right? That's cool. That's cool. And we talked about that last week. You should. But a better, a better question is not who the president will be, but who the king will be. Who will be the king of your life? I love what we read in John chapter 12. It says in verse 15, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coal. And I thought that was so cool, man, because maybe even there's some here today you're afraid. You're afraid of the things that you're facing in life. You're afraid even of entering into a relationship with God. You're afraid of surrendering everything to him, your home, your heart, everything to him. And we are afraid. Well, what will happen if I do that? I like what it says right there. Fear not, because your king, Jesus Christ, is coming to you and he's sitting on a donkey. He's humble. He's loving. And I'm telling you this right now, man, that he, he will bless your life. He will take care of you. And so I pray that tonight, in looking at that, that, that chapter, that crazy chapter, in which things just continue to get worse and worse and worse. 
that it would be a wake-up call for all of us to allow the Lord to really be the Lord of our life. And Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Father God, for loving us the way that you do, Lord, in, in spite of us. And Father, I pray that you would continue to work in every heart and every life here today, Father. And I just pray, Lord, that every single person would be surrendered to you today. And if you're here today before you partake of communion,